Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. You were nominated for the 2022 Nobel Peace Prize. Walk me through what that feels like. Scott, it was, uh, it was a shock. Today, my guest is Keith Croft. Former U.S. Undersecretary of State for Economic Growth, Energy, and the Environment. The first and highest ranking State Department official who had the guts and the strength to visit Taiwan, even under China threat. He was the first official in the U.S. to do that since 1979. The things that you deployed in Taiwan in particular, why does that tie back to the impact that China could have on the U.S.? Taiwan is a linchpin for democracy and a role model of freedom. That's what they are to the free world. Now to General Secretary Xi, what they are is they dispel his myth that the Chinese culture cannot live under a democracy, but it has to live under authoritarian rule, and he wants it. Talk about the current uh, state of China, what they have under their control, what they're trying to do. How does that impact us? Yeah. How do we fight back against that? I got asked by Senator Coons, and he said, uh, Keith, what would your strategy be to combat China's economic aggression? And I said, Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Now, the HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like My First Million, hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Purry. They interview some of the most incredible business leaders, Alex Hermosi, Sophia Amoruso, Hassan Minhaj, who share their journey to success and how they made their first million. On a recent episode, they featured the acquired podcast hosts, Ben Gilbert and David Rosenthal, to discuss how they scaled their multi-million dollar podcast. Don't sleep on My First Million. If you want to get inspired, if you want to learn from the best, you got to tune in to My First Million wherever you listen to your podcast. Today, my guest is Keith Kroc. Keith is a former U.S. Undersecretary of State, as well as the CEO of DocuSign and Ariba. He's been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize in recognition of his work defending against Chinese techno-authoritarianism and leveraging the United States' technology advancements towards a new form of diplomacy. He's inaugurated the Kroc Institute for Tech Diplomacy at Purdue. They address emerging challenges such as artificial intelligence, hypersonics, synthetic biology, sourcing of rare earth minerals and semiconductors, quantum computing, 5G and 6G communication networks, and energy and climate innovations. As a tech sector pioneer who co-founded Ariba and led DocuSign's growth and IPO, he was the youngest ever vice president in the history of General Motors and the highest ranking U.S. diplomat to visit Taiwan since the United States recognized a communist government in Beijing. He has quite the story to tell, and he's one of the few high ranking individuals that was in the Trump administration that continued to have an important advisory role. 
in the Biden administration, helping ensure policy continuity with respect to China and U.S. leadership in tech diplomacy. So we spoke about Keith's origin story. We spoke about his humble beginnings in Ohio. He worked in industry. He worked for his dad's business. And he was obsessed with technology and innovation and disruption, which obviously translated into all the incredible companies he worked for and grew and eventually exited. Uh, of course, being CEO of Ariba and DocuSign, as well as all the other things that he's done, is no small feat. But over the course of his career, he noticed that innovation and disruption, if you play fair, that's great. But you understand that there's other players in the world that don't play fair, that don't have that same ethical and moral compass that always guided the companies that Keith built. So he decided to take a stand against it. He understood the problem, and he worked with the U.S. government as Undersecretary of State to create a trust principle, which fought back against techno-authoritarianism. I'm going to tell you exactly what that is, and so will he, and also how it really impacts the U.S. and the battle that he won over 5G with China, the levers that he pulled in order to make sure that China does not dominate the U.S. when it comes to technical innovation. And he did that through a variety of means, but a lot of it was based on galvanizing countries that had the same moral compass as the U.S. and focusing on the things that differentiate the U.S. and make it the greatest country in the world, which is democracy. Uh, then we spoke about the lessons that he learned actually combating China 5G. Uh, they won that battle. And then the things that we have to look out for in the future, the risks that are very real to the U.S., we speak about uh, all the things that he has done as Undersecretary of State. We speak about the trust principle. We speak about the Clean Network Alliance of Democracies. Uh, we speak about uh, why companies have to have a China plan, similar to when companies pull out of Russia because of Russia attacking Ukraine. Uh, do you have a China plan for your business? And lastly, what is uh, technical statecraft and why do we have to worry about it? And this is something that he's very focused on right now. So let's jump right into it. This is Keith Kroc, former U.S. Undersecretary of State, as well as CEO of DocuSign and Ariba. Well, uh, you know, my father had a five-person machine shop uh, in the good times. It was just me and him in the uh, tough times. Uh, I was welding at age, uh, at, at age 12. The customers were... Uh, you know the big three, three auto companies, and uh, I learned I learned so much from from that experience. And, and uh, my dad had a great he had a, he had a great sense of humor. You know he'd answer the phone, uh, Litco Industries Steel Fabrication Division, John Crock speaking, Director of Sales. How may I help you? And I would go, Hey, Dad. Uh, you know there's only three of us in here. He goes, That's right. You know uh, our customers are the big three and. You know, we specialize in quality service. Don't let them come to the factory. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a great experience. And, you know, he wanted me to go off and get some college knowledge and become an engineer so I could grow uh, the machine shop to a big company, maybe 10 people. And, you know, although I didn't go back, um, I think he was, he was proud that, uh, you know, I went to Purdue and studied engineering and, and General Motors gave me a fellowship there and also then to business school. And then I ended up going to General Motors. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, that fellowship uh, in business school, they paid me a half salary. So when I graduated, I actually bought my dad for the first time a new car. I bought him a, a Delta 88 diesel <laughs> General Motors car way back then. Um, when, when, did you, when did you first 
get uh, fascinated, interested in, in technology? When did you, because you're, you're working in industry at a young age and you've been in like every single industry possible that has been transformed over the past, like, I don't know, 20, 30 years. So robotics, engineering, commerce, education, diplomacy, uh, philanthropy, like everything you touch seems to be like you're always at the right spot, right time. So what was that catalyst? What was that first thing you did that that made you understand that you had an exceptional ability to disrupt, to innovate, to influence? And I, I think if I you look at your incredible career, that's kind of the that's that point in your life led to so much more. And I want to understand what that point was. Yeah, you know, I think it was it probably started in the factory because, you know, I love working on the machines and uh, uh, and then when I went off to General Motors, you know, my first job at age 19 was as a production foreman, second shift chassis line for Cadillac. Uh, and it was the only Cadillac plant in the world. We had 15,000 employees. So I was, I was fascinated with automation. And then uh, my second year at Harvard Business School, I wrote, it is kind of like a mini thesis on uh, utilization robotics in the Japanese auto industry. And so when I came out uh, of business school, um, yeah, they they said, hey, because I'd also work in the New York Treasurer's office, and they said, hey, what what are you interested in? I go robots, and they said, well, we have a super super secret robot uh, project, the most sophisticated robot in the world, at the General Motors Research Labs. And back then, GM was the biggest company in the world, 1.5 million employees, and they said, we don't know what we're going to do with it. We don't know what what um, what we'd have you do. I go, that sounds perfect. And so um, next thing you know, I'm presenting to the board of directors at age 24 that General Motors should get in the robotics business. And, um, and surpri- to, to my surprise, they said, okay, let's do it. How should we do it? And I'm like, uh, can I come back at the next board meeting? And so, I mean, it was kind of funny. And I had worked, you know, in, in the New York church office, that's the staff for the board of directors. I had worked for a guy named Rick Wagner and it'd be the, CEO and chairman for like 10 years. And so I came back and I said, well, we need a much broader product line. So we need to joint venture with somebody. And they go, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. With who? I go, can I come back in a, in a month? And I came back. And now understand that the board back there, they were all World War II veterans. I said, we should, we should do the joint venture. We should partner with Fujitsu Fanic. And they go, you mean the Japanese? I go, yes, the Japanese. And it was uh, a brilliant operation. To this day, it's the largest manufacturer of industrial robots in the world. And at that, and we put GE, IBM, and Westinghouse out of business. We became the industry leader by a factor of four. The average age of our team back then was, I don't know, probably mid-30s. I was 26 when I became the VP of it. And uh, it was a great experience. And, and that really got me going on technology. And then we were selling a lot of robots in Silicon Valley in the disk drive business. And, and uh, I was fascinated by that. And that's why on my 30th birthday, I left General Motors, which was unheard of in those days. People thought I was nuts to head on out to the West Point of capitalism, you know, the, 
the the United Nations, you know, the United Nations, you know, of business and uh, in the ultimate meritocracy with the premium all youth. And have- I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Headed out to Silicon Valley. And when you when you when you look back at some of the problems that you've you've tried to solve, and I actually mentioned like a few industries, and I, I you know incorrectly didn't even cover the full scope of all the things that you've worked on. When you look at like the next problem you want to solve, you you are a disruptor. You look at an industry and you and you look like ten years, fifteen years ahead, and that's probably how you've achieved most of your success. And that that's thinking different. And you were wired that way from a very young age. So. When you go into a variety of different industries and categories, we don't have to go into all of them because there's been a lot. Um, but how do you look at an industry? How do you how do you pinpoint? Because the serial entrepreneurship across multiple categories that's incredible. The very few people achieve. You see people that go into the same categories again and again, but you've done it in so many different industries. What's that secret? What's that lens that you look at the business through? Well, in a phrase, I would say it'd be challenge the status quo. I would also say it would be look for a technology paradigm shift. So, for example, the one after General Motors was in uh, engineering design software. And back then, they had just come out with a thing called workstations that had the power of a mainframe. 
So you could do all kinds of things with that. And we developed this new technology called mechanical design synthesis where you could optimize designs. You could literally press a button and it would redraw it for you. And it's, you know, my son, my oldest son who works at uh, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratories utilized that technology. You know, and, and for example, when we started this company called Ariba, where we invented business-to-business -business electronic commerce, this was back in 95, and um, the internet had just came, uh, come out. So it was the first enterprise application uh, written on the internet. So it's always kind of on the cutting edge. You know, DocuSign was, it was, you know, cloud computing and, and mobile had just really come into its own. Um, because when there's a paradigm shift, what that means is all the old legacy players go back to kind of ground zero so you can disrupt them, so you can challenge that status quo. Um, so that's, you know, I think that's been the key. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, the number one job of a CEO is to build a high-performance team. And I really believe the company with the best people wins. The key is get them working together as a team. And especially the key is to have different temperaments, talents, and convictions, because that diversity of thought is the catalyst for genius. I love that. Um, and as you, you, know, you go through your career, you've had multiple successes, taken multiple companies public. Um, the concept of, of tech diplomacy, which is now what you're focused on mostly, how did, that, how did your career in private industry, in public industry, in government, how did that inform and, and help you understand that this was something that you wanted to take on at this point in your life? And I want you all to describe what tech diplomacy is, because candidly, there's a lot of subjects that I speak about on this podcast, and tech diplomacy, I've actually never heard it before I you know, started researching for our show, and we were you know, trying to do the research and figure out what exactly this is, and why is it relevant, and what does it mean for the average person? So let's understand where this, where this passion for tech diplomacy came from, because it's highly relevant now, and, and what is it, and why are you working in it? Sure. So where it really came about was when I was running DocuSign. And we were up to about 500 million unique users around the world. We had entered every major country except for China. And I went on a two-week listening trip. I usually would do that if we, if we were going to a big country. And uh, I've been going there since 1981. I mean, I'm a lover of Chinese history, culture, uh, the people, of course, the food. Uh, but, th but this time, it was different. I could see that their traditional market competition was amped up into a new form of techno-economic uh, aggression under General Secretary Xi. Uh, you know, I had a chance to see their, dwarm, uh, their, their drone swarm technology. Uh, I learned about the One Belt, One Road initiative, which is looked like a military supply chain to me. They were telling me to download Tencent every 30 minutes. I met with five of the top seven uh, Polar Bureau members. And as I was getting back on that plane, I'm like going, you know, the guys with the best technology win the war. These guys don't seem like good guys to me. And I go, I wonder if the guys in Washington know about this. And I really, I didn't know really anybody uh, in Washington or in the administration. Uh, so a week later, I went out there. I made it my mission to, to do that. Next thing you know, I'm in a room explaining about China, and they go, have you ever thought about serving your country, Keith? 
I go, well, that's a dream I never knew I had. I'd be honored. And they go, can you move? I go, I can move anywhere in the world. It's the fastest decision I ever made in my life. So that's when they sent me to the State Department to run U.S. economic diplomacy. And my mission there was to develop and operationalize a global economic security strategy that drives economic growth, maximizes national security, and combats economic aggression. And so one of the first things that I did, as always, is I brought in a great team. And it was kind of unheard of in the State Department. I brought in 12 folks from Silicon Valley, results-oriented execs, mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, uh, technologists, and we combined it with the greatest foreign service officers and civil servants I, uh, imaginable. And it ended up to be just a dynamite team. Um, and so tech diplomacy, what that does is that combines uh, Silicon Valley strategies with foreign policy tools based on a thing called the trust principle, which was a doctrine we created to defeat China's master plan to control 5G communications. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, if you're growing a business, you've got a ton on your plate. You need more leads. You need to close deals faster. You need to get better insights to connect with your customers. You need a CRM, one that works from day one, gives your teams a central source of truth, and helps them do more faster. That's why you need HubSpot. HubSpot is an all-in-one CRM platform that will accelerate your business growth without slowing down efficiency. With thousands of customizable tools like ad tracking, social media management, and an AI content assistant, your teams will have everything they need to convert prospects to qualified leads. Plus, you can customize your CRM with apps and integrations that meet the needs of your business at any stage. So as your business grows, HubSpot CRM grows with you. Get started for free today at HubSpot.com. It's, it's incredible what you did because everything that you just said that you did is, is something that I speak about in, in regards to the issue with government is that they don't move quick enough. They don't have outside thought coming in. So you effectively brought in some of the top talent in Silicon Valley. You applied that to, a, to an actual administration and you brought them in and now you're actually solving problems at the speed and, and with the, you know, the, uh, the lens that a Silicon Valley exec would look at a problem versus a career politician. So that's something that can actually make incredible moves. Now, when when you go down this pathway, you move from private, uh, you you work and public, and you move from that into government. Um, what talk about the current talk about the current uh, state of of China of what they what they have uh, under their control, what they're trying to do. How does that impact us? Yeah. For example, even if I think about foreign investment into startups in, in the U.S., how, what do we have to be wary of? How do we fight back against that? Sure, sure. You know, I, I kind of had a chance to see it my whole life because, uh, you know, what I could see through the years, you know, through uh, my dad's company back, you know, in Ohio in the Midwest, I could see that China's weapons of mass production had devastated the heart of our economic engine. That's, uh, you know, small and medium-sized manufacturers. When I was the vice president of General Motors, I could see if you built a plant in China, you weren't just giving them the blueprints. You were giving them the process engineering, how to build it, and also training their people so they could come back and compete against you. I also, when I was at Ariba, 
uh, we had our intellectual property stolen uh, from Alibaba. And now what we see, uh, the reality we face as a nation and as a free world is seemingly ceaseless, intense variation of weaponized economic competition because uh, our rivals are playing the long game. They're playing for keeps. They're playing a, uh, a four-dimensional game of military, economic, diplomatic, and cultural chess. And at the intersection point and, a, and the primary battleground is technology. And worst of all, these authoritarian regimes have no respect whatsoever for rule of law, for property of all kinds, for sovereignty of nations, for human rights, for the environment, for the press. And, you know, we have to raise our, 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 our game. Um, and there is nothing static about superpower advantage. And so we, and the world needs American leadership. So that's what, you know, this was all about. And when, when I had my Senate confirmation here and I had a good fortune the rare fortune of being unanimously confirmed was I got asked by Senator Coons and he said, uh, Keith, what would your strategy be to combat China's economic aggression? And I said, I would harness U.S.'s three biggest areas of competitive advantage by rallying and unifying our allies and our friends, by leveraging the innovation and the resources of the private sector, and by amplifying the moral high ground of democratic values. And that turned out to be uh, a, an enduring model now that is used in uh, the Biden administration uh, to combat that aggression. And it was um, that strategy combined with that trust principle that enabled us to defeat that master plan for 5G. We also used it to create a thing called the Blue Dot Network, which is an equitable and unifying alternative to what uh, China has called the One Belt, One Road, or as a uh, Malaysian finance minister called the One Belt, One Way Toll Road to Beijing. This is where China goes all over the world and creates these debt traps with these low-income uh, nations, takes advantage, build their infrastructure, puts their, you know, uh, literally uh, devastates um, the environment. Uh, they also really take advantage of the people in that country. They don't leave them with any skills, and they leave them strapped for uh, cash. So uh, we also used it in strengthening U.S.-Taiwan ties. So I was the highest State Department official to visit Taiwan in 41 years. I was, I was greeted with 40 fighters and bombers. And uh, we used that tr trust principle to put together a thing called the Economic Prosperity Partnership and, and a number of other things. Also used that to call out uh, the human rights abuses against the Uyghur Muslims in a western part of China called Xinjiang. And, um, and on July 4th, 2020, on national TV, I, I called it, called out that genocide. I was the first government official to do that. And um, uh, so that trust principle was really the basis of everything. And, and why was the, you know, I think it's because you've, you've dealt with 
and, and observed China for so long, and maybe that's the answer, but why were these particular causes so important to you? Because there's a lot of other things that threaten the U.S. in terms of uh, their equi- economic prowess, and there's other, there's other countries. Obviously, China is one of them, and we look at Russia as well, and I'm sure there's a few others that probably are trying to compete on various levels, but the things that you deployed um, in Taiwan in particular, why does that tie back to the impact that you know China could have on the U.S.? Because I think Taiwan's in a precarious position right now. By the way, uh, Taiwan is a linchpin for democracy and a role model of freedom. That's what they are uh, to the free world. Now, to General Secretary Xi, what they are is they dispel uh, his myth that the Chinese culture cannot live under a democracy, but it has to live under authoritarian rule, and he wants it gone. And uh, and by the way, to companies around the world, uh, China-U.S. conflict would be devastating and literally catastrophic for the high-tech business because in Taiwan, that's where they manufacture the most sophisticated semiconductors in the world, which is the foundation uh, for all you know for all t- uh, technology. So this is this is really a big deal. And if you think of China, is the biggest threat to freedom and democracy uh, around the world. And, and, you know, it was interesting. Uh, uh, when I was undersecretary, and this was in uh, January 2020, uh, I came back from Washington to my home in San Francisco. I hosted 36 of the top CEOs uh, in Silicon Valley. You'd recognize all their names, all the companies. Uh, they, many of them have been here before. It was a safe environment. And I asked them to go around the room and tell their China horror stories. And, you know, I can't talk about the contents of that meeting, but I can tell you this, is that um, they, uh, uh, I'll tell you, it it was cathartic, it was enlightening, and it was frightening all at once, Scott. Um, And at the end of it, I said, you know, guys, we say out here uh, that corporate responsibility is social responsibility. It's also national security. It's global economic security, too. Because not only is China a real and urgent threat to our democracy and our freedom, but they're also a real and urgent threat to our businesses. And so if you think of the things, Scott, that we honor, those things like respect for rule of law and property and the environment and human rights, these are things that we honor. And authoritarian regimes like Russia and China do not. And they, as a matter of fact, they use it against them for their strategic advantage. So think about this, Scott. So let's say you're a Silicon Valley CEO, and I'm a Chinese company. So if I could steal your intellectual property, if I don't have to be transparent, if I can use slave labor, if I can use cheap, uh, huge energy uh, uh, coal-fired power plants, if I don't have to be reciprocal with my market, if I either am the law or I don't have to obey the law, I'm going to beat you every time. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and they use co-option, coercion, all, uh, all this stuff. No respect for human life. That's what we call the power principle. So what we did is we created this doctrine called the trust principle, 
where we actually used it to our advance, advantage. So one jujitsu move, we flipped them on their back. So we actually weaponized the very principles that protect our freedom. So, so walk me. Through, so I'm super curious because you were successful in the campaign um, when they were trying to uh, basically control 5G. So if you wanted to deploy this strategy against future tech, because obviously this is going to be a recurring thing. It's not like a one and done. How do you actually, how do you actually, because all the things you mentioned before are, are, are great and they're nice and they're high level, but tactically <laughs> that, that you're allowed to talk about, how do you actually deploy this principle to safeguard, um, this, to protect the U.S.? What are the, the levers that you pull? Yeah. So, yeah. by the way, it applies across all areas of technology and all areas of economic competition, maybe even some military areas. Uh, so what was going on with 5G? Because it's a great case study. And by the way, we extended it to cloud computing. Mm -hmm. We extended it to applications. We extended it to uh, underwater cable. It, applied to, it can be applied to clean currency. It can be applied to uh, electric vehicles, all of that. So it, this was back in early 2020. So it was, it, China had a master plan to control 5G, and 5G is way more than a cell phone. The speeds are so fast that it control power grids, utility systems, sanitation systems, manufacturing processes, Internet of Things. It carries people's most personal data, government's most precious secrets. And it looked like their national champion, Huawei, Mm. Uh, who's the backbone for their, their most important company and their backbone for their surveillance state enabler genocide was going to run the table. They had just announced 97 5G deals, uh, you know, 47 of them in Europe, and U.S. efforts were failing. And uh, we got the authorities uh, within the government uh, to go make a last-ditch effort. And the reason why the previous efforts were failing so predecessors were going around different countries banging on the table saying, don't buy Huawei. So us guys from the private sector, we said, hey, why don't we just treat them, you know, these other countries and these telcos like customers. And the customers are always right. And we need a value. Nobody likes to be told what to do. And we need a value proposition so that they'll partner with us. And that was key. The other thing, too, the most, the, the biggest key comes back to this issue. It wasn't a technology issue at all, Scott. It was about trust. Mm -hmm. And in my first 60 bilaterals as Undersecretary of State, where I meet with foreign ministers, finance ministers, economic ministers, uh, you know, I'd be in a meeting, I'd say, hey, how's your relationship with China? They would say, oh, well, they're an important trading partner, you know, they're number one, number two. And then they kind of look both ways, like somebody's in a the room, they lean, they go, but we don't trust them. And that rang bells in my head because just a year before, I'm standing up in front of all the DocuSign employees go, we're not in the software business. We are in the trust business. We deal with people's most important documents. Those are the ones you sign. Mm -hmm. And trust is the basis of every relationship, personal business or otherwise. You do business with people you trust. You partner with people you trust. You buy from people you trust. You love people you trust. And boy, 5G is the trust business. So we go around to these companies, these telcos, we would say, who are you going to trust with your citizens' personal data? Who are you going to trust with your company's proprietary 
technology. Who are you going to trust with your government's most precious secrets? And that was uh, what we deployed. And it really was a successful strategy. Now, we did a lot of things that were um, non-traditional in government. An example was we called on foreign company CEOs because we knew so many of them. We were calling on the telcos, like Deutsche Telekom, or uh, there's one in Australia, Telstra. These are the AT&Ts of these uh, different uh, uh, companies, NTT, um, to get you know to get them on our side. By the time we were done, in less than a year, we had 60 countries representing over two thirds of the world's global GDP at 200 telcos and a host of industry leading companies on this uh, clean network. Uh, and this is what defeated them. And in that process, we exposed their biggest weakness, which is lack of trust. Nobody trusts these guys. And that was, that was the key. That was the street key strategic positioning. And this ended up being the first government-led initiative that actually defeated uh, China Inc. and now has turned into this bipartisan model that has bridged from a Republican administration to a Democratic uh, administration. And, you know, when you look at what's going on in Ukraine right now, those courageous Ukrainians, the heartbreaking atrocities that Putin's commit, uh, this is what we need more than ever, is this alliance of democracies. Because if you look at, um, if you look at these authoritarians, and Xi in particular, what is his strategy? His strategy is to divide and conquer and pick off the weak gazelle from the herd. And I, I, you, you couldn't even believe how intimidated uh, that um, countries and companies are of China because they have a formula of intimidation, retaliation, retribution. So what the clean network provided was a security blanket because there's strength in numbers and there's power and unity and solidarity. Do you feel like the fact that you deployed this and now you have the clean network and there's a model that we can work off of, do you feel like countries, private companies, are going to feel um, safer uh, collaborating on, on similar things in the future? Do you think we've sort of seen a paradigm shift in, in galvanizing people? And by the way, absolutely, because they could see how powerful it was. Um, and, and the need, and by the way, you can see what's going on over in Europe. You can see, uh, you know, these uh, democracies rallying because th these authoritarian regimes, these are, these are guys that, um, that care only about two things. One is regime preservation, mm -hmm. and the other is domination. And they have no regard for human life. And, you know, one of my other responsibilities at the State Department was infectious diseases. And I can tell you, in terms of the pandemic, all roads lead to Wuhan, and the emperor has no clothes. Uh, and these guys covered this thing up so bad. I mean, they destroyed all the original samples, a lot of the data, killed people, uh, you know, rolled out their propaganda machine. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, it is one of the biggest crimes ever committed in the world. What's up, everyone? Just want to take a second. Thank the sponsor of today's episode, Brevo. Now, Brevo is a game-changing platform that has the potential to supercharge your business. 
If you want to expand your customer base, supercharge your revenue, who doesn't, right? Brevo is the go-to platform. Brevo, you used to know it as Send in Blue, is designed to fully empower businesses to thrive. With Brevo, you have all the tools you need in one easy-to-use platform to cultivate meaningful relationships and drive sustainable, predictable growth. Brevo makes it simple and accessible to create engaging, personalized email campaigns, SMS or WhatsApp messages, stunning landing pages, automated workflows. Whether your goal is customer acquisition, retention, loyalty, Brevo checks all the boxes. It has a toolkit you need to turn the one-time browser into the long-time customer. Beyond just marketing, Brevo is a unified platform. It allows you to streamline your business ops, scheduling meetings, managing tasks and projects, all in one place. It's an ideal growth tool for marketers, SMBs, and sales teams looking for one consolidated toolbox to scale their business. It's trusted by over 500,000 businesses across 180 countries. It includes leaders like Sodexo, Louis Vuitton, Carrefour, eBay, Michelin. They all rely on Brevo's robust technology and extensive integrations to deliver unparalleled customer experiences, reduce costs, drive sales. This is what you got to do. Get started with Brevo for free by clicking our link below or going to brevo.com success and use the promo code success to save 50% on your first three months of the starter and business plan. That's brevo.com success promo code success and sign up for free. Um, when you look at when you look when you look at what's happening in Ukraine right now, obviously uh, this is horrendous. There's there's atrocities being committed by by Russia by Putin. How how could we deploy some of these strategies in the future with even non NATO countries? What is the thing that if you were looking at this situation, like what do you wish we could have done uh, to sort of without bringing them into NATO even, try and fix some of these problems before they manifest? Because now you see other nations are very scared of what's happening in, in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, I think it gets back to those three key principles of unifying and rallying our, our allies and leveraging the innovation of mm-hmm. the private sector and amplifying those moral high grounds. I, I, uh, I just wrote a piece. It came out in Fortune today. Um, that is called present your China plan at the next board meeting because uh, here and this is all about the private sector so if you think about what happened in Ukraine and Russia uh, there's over 300 big companies that pulled up the, yeah. their operations out of uh, Russia because of Ukraine and this is an expensive proposition caught everybody off guard nobody had a plan and so what I'm seeing now in the boardrooms, f- with the uh, mo- you know the most respected board members around the world, are asking from their CEO, "What's your China contingency plan if there's a U.S.-China conflict or a U.S. or a China-Taiwan conflict?" Because now that probability has gone up, and she is obsessed with taking over Taiwan. Because, hey, uh, if when it happens, it's too late. So don't be yeah. get caught off guard again. 
and you should have that plan there sitting on that shelf. As a matter of fact, the CEO should begin to implement it uh, immediately. So that's one of the I, that's one of the really really uh, big things. It's um, interesting, expensive, and, expensive uh, yeah. problem to solve, but very interesting. Yeah, and, and you know China's economy is ten times what Russia is. Yeah. So, uh, and there's a lot of entanglement there. So it's that's a that's a key thing. And you know I've I've sat on a lot of boards, and you know the number one responsibility of board member. Uh, in addition to hiring and firing a CEO, is you have to mitigate risk. Uh, and you have a plan sitting on the shelf for like the one that keeps you everybody up at night. That's a cyber breach. By the way, you need a plan sitting on, on a shelf for this China contingency plan because Xi is not slowing down. As a matter of fact, he is just speeding up. Um, and it looks like he's going to be elected for life. So he's going to be unencumbered. Um, when you now, when you look forward to the future, um, what keeps? What are the what are the the tactics you think China could deploy that keep you up at night? What are the different things that you think they will go after now, knowing that you have you have a, a plan to sort of uh, counterattack what they've been doing in the U.S. and with five G and any other technology that develops? Like the only thing that I think of, and maybe you can provide commentary on this or, or other. Would they would they try and find, um, for example, startups that maybe don't are a little bit hungry or are a little bit more, um, you know, they need help more than a large uh, Fortune 500 private company or, or public company. Maybe they go after people at an earlier stage when they really need that capital and then they sort of plant that seed there. Is there is that real or is that or other things that we have to watch for? Scott, they've been doing that for years. That's that's kind of a standard operating procedure, is is to get guys early on, uh, who need that financial capital so they could take control of the company, particularly here in Silicon Valley. And by the way, they they disguise a lot of these companies. These guys are masters of concealment and and deception. Um, you know what a lot of people don't understand is the average American investor and and pensioner is financing. China's military buildup, their surveillance state, enabling their genocide. And the way China does that, you think of all these, all these Chinese companies, you know, they're involved in this. They've broken in, into an unnatural amount, you never see it in the real world, of subsidiaries with different names in the Cayman Islands, and that's for the purpose of concealment and deception. Then what they do is they seduce with money uh, these index funds, like MSCI index funds, FTSE index funds, where they're able to bury their companies, whether they're on a Chinese stock exchange or even in the U.S. stock exchange. And then those go into these big funds, like BlackRock is the biggest. There are 431 emerging uh, market uh, funds. These are like ETFs and mutual funds. And then those get buried in the $11.7 trillion pension funds in the U.S. So one of the big things that we need to do is stop financing uh, China's malign activities because, see, they need hard currency uh, over there. So that's a really, really uh, a big one, and that's something a lot of people don't realize. 
you know, my last press conference as undersecretary, you know, I asked the press, I said, you know, send a message to the average American investor to ask their financial manager, whoever manages their pension, to tell them what Chinese companies are in their funds. And if they say they don't know, then ask them to find out. And if they come back and they uh, don't give you the answer, or if they don't come back, best find a new uh, fund manager. And this is something that you know I wrote to uh, a letter to all university governing boards because it's also in all these university endowment funds. This is big monies in yeah. there. Um, I wrote a letter to all United States CEOs um, and and boards uh, about. Uh, utilizing slave labor and financing the Chinese, um, intellectual property theft and all that. Because, you know, when I think back when I was a CEO or when I was also I was chairman of the Board of Trustees at Purdue, I didn't know any of this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's, it, it's time to turn that tide because, you know, what we thought, Scott, for the longest time, we thought capitalism equals democracy. China proved Proved, proved us wrong on that. And it's time to take off the rose-colored glasses and treat them not how we hoped they'd be, but how they truly are. Um, talk to me about, uh, you You co-founded uh, at Purdue the, uh, the Institute for Tech Diplomacy. So I, I feel like that's in the same vein as what we were just speaking about. So what's the goal with this? Yeah. What are you trying to accomplish? What's it teaching over? Well, Scott, technology must advance freedom. Technology is powerful, getting more powerful every day. It could be used for good or bad purposes. So that, you know, that mission is to advance technology or to advance freedom through trusted technology by utilizing the trust principle and also by training diplomats around the world, training the private sector in tech statecraft how do you compete against somebody who doesn't play by the rules mm -hmm. and wants to put you out of business? So it, that's what it's about. And it's, and it's now become uh, probably the world's preeminent authority um, in this whole area of tech diplomacy and, and tech statecraft and building trusted networks. Uh, and it's totally bipartisan. We, for example, we have former Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta is on the board. We have the longest serving director of NASA is on the board. Uh, we just put on uh, the number two guy at NATO, Deputy Secretary Giuana. So this is an international um, uh, effort uh, and, and really against probably the biggest existential threat that uh, democracy faces. And, and it's real because you know, this, this democracy we have is just an experiment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, growing up in that little house in Ohio with a white picket fence and a dog and 2.5 children, uh, that's kind of goes against all the laws of physics. It's an unnatural act because, you know, the most natural order of things is the bad king, the dictator, and the emperor. And you got to fight every day for that. I clearly learned that. Uh, in my service to the country. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate what you're doing. And, 
and hopefully, and I'm sure this is, I'll, I'll ask this question in a second, but I also want to know like what your plans are for the future after your incredible career and where you want to take it from here, because this is like, you're building out the blueprint again in, in another category that's just being developed. So, you know, you're leading the way, but before I ask that question, um, it'd be silly of me not to just commend you. Uh, you were, you were nominated for the 2022 Nobel Peace Prize. Walk me through even what that feels like to be part of that. Did you expect any of this? Was this something that you've ever even dreamed that would happen? Or is this something that, you know, it's, it's just a byproduct of somebody who's committed their whole life to, to trying to do the right thing? Well, uh, Scott, it was, uh, it was a shock, first of all, but the, but the lasting feeling is humbling because uh, you look at the Nobel Peace Prize award winners in the past, whether it's guys like Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa, I mean, that li Martin Luther King, that list goes on. But also, you know, I, I think of, for example, what's going on in Ukraine and, and, and the courage of those Ukrainians. Um, you know, it's hard to compare. And, you know, the other thing, when something like this happens, it's really about the team. And I had a fabulous bipartisan diverse team that uh, that really made that really made that happen so you know it was a surprise for me it's obviously a great honor you know I, I you know I, I'll never forget is kind of funny is that um, so when my father and I we were working in that factory you know when I was a teenager we'd go in and on Saturdays and we clean we'd clean out the bathrooms together and I remember once we're scrubbing out the toilets and all of a sudden I hear him just yell because I hated it, you know. He hated it too, and and he, I hear him yell, "Keith, we can't solve world peace, but we can try." <laughs> you know, I mean, this is funny. Um, and uh, anyway, I wish he was alive right now. Uh, here's another funny story. The only person that wasn't surprised was my 95 year old mom. So I, I have her on a Zoom call, right? And my two sisters are by. I go, "Hey, mom, uh, I've been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize." She goes, oh, I knew you would. I knew you always would be. Of course, yes. yes. I mean, I mean that's, that's, a mother. She's, she's a good mom. I mean, she's know, a good mom. You've been playing this since I was one years old. I wish you would have told me, Mom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was the same person when I'd be playing football on Friday nights, and she would go, Keith, kill him, you know? And we'd be in a huddle. they go, Croc, is that your, is that your ma? I go, yeah. Will you tell her to shut the heck up? I go, I'm not telling her to shut the heck up. You guys tell her. <laughs> We're not done. I go run to play. Let's go. Ready, break. That's that's beautiful. It's it's good that she's it's good she's around for this. That's very beautiful. Um, I want to do a couple of rapid fire to close this out. Uh, but most importantly, before I, I pivot to those, um, where can people connect with you? Where do you want to send people? The the websites, the social, anything you're working on. What are the places you want people to go see? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm I'm on Twitter. Uh, there's a keithcroc.com website. And then, of course, visit our, our website at the Croc Institute for Tech Diplomacy. That's uh, techdiplomacy.org, I think. So, I'll get it in the show yeah, notes. Be yeah, great. I'll get it all in the show notes. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, so let's do a couple rapid fire. So I alluded to this question before, but it's, it's a great question because, again, you've accomplished so much. Um, like serial CEO, entrepreneur, uh, now underwriter and now noble uh, uh, undersecretary, excuse me, a Nobel Peace Prize nominee. Um, what do you want to accomplish next? What's your What's your goal when you know in the next 
200 years, when somebody speaks your name, what, what do, do you want them to associate with what you've accomplished? Well, I, you know, I think uh, I've, been, I've, been, uh, I've been jumping in water over my head my whole life, and it creates an adrenaline rush. And after a while, that adrenaline rush is addicting. So, uh, you know, I think that's, um, that's maybe the first sign of a serial transformational leader. I mean, I can't join an organization that I don't try to transform. Um, so what's next? I'm not really sure. But <laughs> the next thing usually comes. But I can tell you, you know, uh, if you ask me what I like to do the most, I have a wonderful family. I have five children. There's nothing I like more than that and transforming their lives and a wonderful wife uh, whose name is Meta, who I've affectionately now just call Facebook. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, she's funny. Uh, but if, if you ask me, you know, Croc, what do you think your legacy will be? I don't think it will be, uh, uh, you know, to me, it's not the companies I built or even the causes. I think it's the people that I've mentored along the way. And I've benefited great from mentors my whole life. You know, my mom always used to say the best way to learn is OPE, other people's experience. Because she said, learn from other people's mistakes because you learn the most when you make mistakes. You'll have time enough to make your own. And, Good advice. Um, and, and so, uh, and I also started an organization called the Global Mentor Network, which mentors the transformational leaders of tomorrow uh, at scale with some of the greatest transformational leaders. Um, by the way, that's a great website to send your audience to. It's called the Global Mentor Network. Um, and, uh, you know, my dad used to say, you never know if you're a good father until you see your children's children. Um, I also think you never know if you're a great, great leader until you see your mentees, mentees, because uh, the ultimate is to pay it forward and pass it down. And, and by the way, that's the secret to Silicon Valley is the genealogy mm -hmm. and the mentorship, because all this stuff is not written in a book. And so anyway, I, I, I think my legacy would be the people that I've mentored, um, you know, through the years and, and, and they're, you know, I mean, like your great, great grandchildren kind of thing. That's, that's, that's the best way to leave a legacy. I love that. Hey, Success Story listeners, Scott here. Just want to give a shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, the eBay for Business podcast. This is a resource that every entrepreneur should be tapping into. I don't take this lightly. I'm a podcaster. I have a high level of scrutiny for the other podcasts that I tell people to go check out. But this is a good one. Whether you're starting out or you're looking to grow your existing business, this podcast is your golden ticket. It's packed full of insider knowledge on how to start, run, scale a business on eBay with firsthand insights from eBay employees on product launches and campaigns. But it's not just about eBay. It dives into external factors affecting your business, like tax reporting, marketing, sales, all the stuff that you're going to have to figure out to sell stuff on eBay effectively, build a business on eBay effectively. What sets it apart? They bring on eBay executives and successful sellers who've been there, done that, and are eager to share their experiences, advice, and tips. If you have a burning question, their Q&A sessions tackle seller-submitted inquiries 
all types of questions so you're always in the loop. So this is what you got to do. Don't miss out on this go-to source for all things eBay. Tune in to the eBay for Business podcast weekly wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take your business to the next level with insights from those who've already done it. Um, what keeps you up at night now? Uh, well, you know, if you ask me that as a CEO, I'd always say, well, it's that cyber breach, yeah. right? DocuSign is the most uh, hacked application in the world now. Um, uh, by the way, it, it's, I mean, it's its the authoritarian. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's the Russians and the Chinese because um, Xi and Putin, are not going to stop. Uh, they're uh, because if they do, they're dead. And um, and these guys have obviously nuclear weapons at their disposal. Um, and you know she is too smart to do a nine eleven or a Pearl Harbor, so it's kind of like a python, just keep wrapping around. So most important thing is, can a world wake up soon enough? Um, and you know, what was interesting for me is we were going around building the clean network a year ago during the height of COVID. I could see citizens of the world waking up to what I call China's, uh, three C's doctrine of concealment, co-option, coercion, because these citizens, uh, now understand that the pandemic is a result of the concealment of the virus, whether you believe it came from the Wuhan lab or not. And they could also see the co the co-option of Hong Kong resulted in an evisceration of all its systems freedoms. And people are learning now about the coercion in Xinjiang and how that has resulted in a punishable genocide. And the citizens don't like it. And it's beginning to give the political will to government leaders and the CEOs to stand up to that China bully. It's the most unifying uh, issue uh, bipartisan issue on capitol hill and all i know is you know we've all been bullied right sometimes in our life and all i know is when you confront a bully they back down uh but they really back down if you have your friends by your side and by the way they really really back down if you have your friends by your side and you punch them in the nose and that's what we need to do we need to uh unite the world and we need this next generation of transformational leaders because things are changing so fast. We need honorable leaders, principal leaders. Uh, we need transformational leaders who can envision solutions for complex problems. That's, that, that's, that's really my quest. If you had to choose one person, there's been many in your life, but one person's had an incredible impact. Who is that person? What do they teach you? Well, for sure it would be my dad. I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, so, you know, I've always been fascinated with leadership. So I'm off at Harvard Business School. And there's just uh, my first year. And there's a professor who teaches second-year classes. And he's the guru for leadership. I try to get a one-on-one -on -one with him for a long time. Finally, I, got it. I get it. I go into his office. He goes, what are you here for? I go, I just have one question. What makes a great leader? He goes, close your eyes. <laughs> so I close my eyes. And he goes, as soon as you can, just picture in your head, like the leader you just follow, you know, just write a, who's, who's the leader? Write in your mind. 
He goes, you got it? I go, I got it. He goes, now, without opening your eyes, why, why, why is this person a great leader? You, go, you got it? Yeah, I got it. He goes, you can open your eyes now. I go, okay. And he goes, you know, I don't know the answer number one, but I can tell you the answer number two. By the way, I bet that person's fun to be around. They might even have a great sense of humor. And I go, you're absolutely right. I mean, like, super fun. And guy's probably funnest, funniest guy I know. He goes, just out of curiosity, who is it? I go, that's my father. He goes, you have any more questions? I go, no. He goes, you're dismissed. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's, I mean, right? Most important things are written in the book. And by the way, I remember my dad saying, he goes, he was a boxer in the Army. And we're sitting there drinking a beer one night. I think I was in college or something like that. And he goes, Keith, you ever feel like you, you're, you're like cornered in the ring? You, you, you're in a jam, you can't get out of it. I go, what do you mean, Dad? He goes, yeah, no, you're cornered. You don't get that warm feeling. How am I going to get out? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, you know, there's a way to get out of it every time. I go, well, what's that, Dad? He goes, it works every time. He goes, mock yourself out. He goes, you know, I don't think he do like with the word self-deprecating humor. He just goes, mock yourself out. He goes, it gets you out every time. And he goes, and, and, and it's funny. Now, don't mock somebody else out because you're going to hurt their feelings. Plus, it's not funny. You know what I mean? That's right. That's kind of stuff. I love it. Um, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome in your own personal life? How did you overcome it? And what did you learn from it? Oof. Well, I think there were... There's been probably a lot, but what's one that stands out? Yeah, there were a bunch of them. Well, I'll tell you one that really I uh, struggled with. So when I left General Motors, you could imagine. I mean, I was a high-potential candidate, youngest VP mm -hmm. in history. I mean, they're tracking, right? And I leave. I leave everything behind. So I go out to this software... The startup company, a lot of people don't know about it. It was called Kronos. This was the first one. It actually wasn't Rast. And to be the number two guy at a software company. And my second day on a job, the CEO says, this is what I want you to say in the next board meeting. And I go, Marie, I will not say that. That would be lying. And I got that war warm feeling in my stomach. Go, I just made the biggest, you know, mistake of my life and because i knew uh we had different definitions of integrity and i thought i could fix it uh and i tried for about nine months and and finally uh this was when my first son was being born in the hospital and ibm was a big investor in this company you you by the way it doesn't exist it was chronos with a q nobody knows about it and and, um, and, she, and she kept calling me up. She goes, you got to be here for IBM. I go, I'm not missing the birth of my son. So after a couple of times, she'd call me, get me trying to come back. I just told her to do something that's anatomically impossible mm -hmm. to do. And I said, I quit. And that was probably one of the greatest inflection points of my life because uh, I've been surrounded my whole life with a great set of values from family, Rocky River, General Motors, Purdue, all of that. And it was always before my very eyes. But I just took it granted everybody was. And I learned that's not true. 
So out of that experience, every company that I helped build or every organization I've been part of, it's always those set of values and integrity is always, always at the forefront. And then that led to all these high tech companies and the government and stuff at Purdue and everything. So that, you know, my dad, my dad would say another thing too. He goes, when, when the world hands you a sour sack of shitty lemons, your job is to turn it into sweet lemonade. And, and by the way, that I think is, uh, that's a key quality for grit and adversity quotient, which are probably the two most important things. I'll take, I'll take grit, uh, over brains or anything any day because you know anybody can run the ball you know that first 80 yards down the mm -hmm. goal line or 90 but when you're but when you're there close to the end zone to punch it in for the score that's when it's the hardest and that's when it, it, you got to get bloodied and uh bloodied on that battlefield um so anyway i think that's the key part um, if you had to pick a book or podcast or something that's influenced your life that you'd recommend somebody go check out, what would you pick? Well, The Art of War by Sin Tzu. Good one. That's a good uh, one. Yeah. That's a good By the way, I but ironically, I would, uh, all the companies I built, uh, I, I'd have, uh, you know, because it's a short book, I, I'd have our folks read it. You know, it says stuff like, when you're strong, act weak. When you're weak, act strong. The highest paid guy in the army is the spy. Speed's the ultimate weapon. Uh, uh, so I think that that's one. You know, uh, when I was, I think it was a high school, I read uh, just a classic, Dale Carnegie, How, How to Win Friends and Influence mm -hmm. People. That was a really interesting one um, for me. It, it, Maybe think maybe it got me fascinated in uh, in leadership. I think, um, yeah, I think that was uh, that was a real groundbreaker. I think uh, Ben Franklin's autobiography too. Um, yeah, that's a good. So I, you know, yeah, that was a good recommendation. And of course, your podcast—that's actually my favorite now. <laughs> I appreciate your your kind, but that's a. Uh... Th those are I'm I'm in the the shadows of giants compared to to all the books that you just <laughs> you just listed off. But one day, one day. But they all started they all started with a podcast, and you know yeah. it, Scott. <laughs> Whatever their version of a podcast was way back then. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I was talking to people. Yeah, just talking to dude. This is why this is why just talking yeah. talk to the people. Yeah. Talk to the people. Um, if you could tell your twenty year old self one thing, what would it be? Uh, hmm. I mean, so many things uh, running through my head. I think I would say don't get too high on the highs and don't get too low on the lows. Everything is going to even out. Good advice. Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, when things are going really good, yeah, you best be looking over your shoulder because there might be a freight train coming. And when you're just down in the dumps, look, tomorrow's a new day. And I mean, I've, I, you know, I've experienced some things where it's like, hey, man, the CNN trucks might be on, you know, your front lawn, you know, tomorrow, <laughs> who knows? 
You know, that I, I've been curled up at a desk in a fetal position. You know, as a CEO, you're guaranteed to do it at least once a quarter. Uh, so it's like, hey, man, you're going to see it through. And your safety net is your faith in your family and your friends at the end of the day. And that's what really gives you the courage um, to put it out on the line and get bloodied. And then last question, what does success mean to you? I think, as I said before, I think it's paying it forward. That's, and seeing what my, you know, seeing my grandchildren, like my dad said, you never know if you're a good father until you see your children's children. I just got two of them. Congratulations. Uh, and thank you. Thank you. It's great. It's a great feeling. Um, and I got these 10 year old twins, man. They are, they're dynamite. <laughs> Uh, Emma and JD. I mean, they're they are fun. They come up with the funniest things. Um, uh, and then I also think too, in the business world, you know, like a company like Ariba, I think we spawned twelve public company CEOs. So to see those guys do really great, um, I think that's that that's my definition of success. My you know, my other definition of success is that my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren be able to live free because that is not a given. And that I want more than anything else. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
it's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935 and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text Success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work, and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed 
survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 